Good to see you guys. I tell you what, um, I almost feel like I need to make the pulpit go this way. Seems like we got more people over here instead of in the middle. But uh, I'm glad you guys are over here as well. So I got to get used to standing the whole crowd here. Hey, I appreciate Trey talking about Operation Christmas Child. Um, I I know maybe this is the first time you've heard about this and thinking, man, we got to get this back in here by the first Sunday in November. Uh, Give us some leeway on that. We'll check on that this week. We might give you maybe another week or two. But uh, let me just kind of throw a little wrench in there if you don't mind. Whenever you get your your shoebox full or filled, uh, bring it back here. And don't take it to the church office. If you do, I'm just going to bring them back down here. But so help me out. Bring them to the stage here and just start putting them on the stage. And before we ship them off, we're going to pray over them. Okay. So it'll be a beautiful sight seeing all these down here on the stage down here. Now you may be wondering, well, how many do I, do I feel? As many as you want. Uh, I used to say this, we've got four kids, so we do four shoe boxes. Every now and then we might do more than four, but um, really Tina kind of heads that up at our household. But um, if you've got six kids, guess how many I asked you to do? Six. Yeah, y'all are an above average congregation. You got that, six. Um, if you got 12 grandkids... I'm glad I'm not you. But anyway, (laughs) no, 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 that's terrible to say. But anyway, um, I think it'd be kind of neat for us to do. So we'll kind of iron out some things next week with that. If you got your Bibles, turn with me over to the Gospel of Luke. We've been in Luke the past couple of weeks. So I invite you to turn there with me again. Um, I appreciate our songs. I love that song that we just sang. And I appreciate the prayer, Amy. But I'll tell you what, I got convicted as you were praying because you said in in all we do, where's things? There you are. You talked about even when we were driving. I was driving all the way from Anderson this past Friday down through Columbia. Need I say more? Um, <laughs> it was tough. To, I'm glad I don't make that commute every day. And you may be saying, well, why were you in Anderson? Well, um, Anderson University is a South Carolina Baptist school. Do y'all know that? You may, you may not have known that. We've got three. Uh, Baptist schools affiliated with the South Carolina Baptist Convention, Anderson University, Charleston Southern, North of Greenville, uh, great, great schools. Whenever you give your offering, and so I uh, thank you all for, for giving. And, uh, you know, that's an act of worship when we give our tithes and our offering. And that used to be something we would visibly see every Sunday in churches all across the land. Uh, you would have the ushers come forward. Y'all know my very first ministry was in church as a kid was as an usher. And I'll never forget the first prayer I prayed in church. It's on a Sunday night, and I was scared to death because they asked me to have the offertory prayer. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Offertory prayer. So, Steve, we're back in the back of the foyer of my home church on a Sunday night. Me and one of my best friends, we were taking the offering. Our RA leader said, Rod, I want you to pray tonight. And I said, Don, I said, Mr. Don, I don't know what what to pray. I mean, how how do I thank God for the offering? And he said, well, say something like this. And I thought, okay, I can remember that. Oh, I can remember that. So I get down front, and I was just so excited, scared to death, but I was proud of my first prayer in church, Trey. And I had that offering plate in front of me, and I prayed a prayer, but I ended it this way, and bless this food for our bodies in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. And I turned around, and people were smiling like y'all are, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, did I say what I just said? Yes, I did. <laughs> But um, anyway, um, thank y'all for giving your tithes and your offerings. And you've got boxes back here for you to to do that. But we used to visibly see people giving of their tithes and offerings. But know that when you give, some of that money goes to um, schools like North Greenville and Anderson and Charleston Southern. And and Anderson is right at the cusp of having 4,000 students on campus. A few years ago, several, several years ago, uh, they almost were closing the doors. Now they got 4,000 students that are up there, which is pretty amazing. But anyway, how I got on that subject, I have no idea. We're in Luke chapter 9, aren't we? And we're continuing our subject called core, core values. Uh, these core values, as I've said the past couple of weeks, should be values that every Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church should embrace. The very first Sunday, we looked at biblical authority and how we as followers of Christ just submit to the Bible. That is our authority in our life. And I know some of us as men might say, well, I don't know if I agree with what you're about to say, which is this, the Bible is God's love letter to you, but it really is God's love letter to you. Um, It's his guidebook for for our life. Uh, Happy is the person that lives their life in sync 
with the Bible. And then last week we talked about transformational worship. And then today we're going to be talking about discipleship next week, Lord willing, what it looks like to live on mission. But today we're going to be talking about discipleship. And as you're looking at Luke 9 and you see the text we're going to be looking at, there's a similar text um, that goes with this over in Matthew's gospel. But basically they're the same. Um, But as we think about this particular subject, discipleship here, let me just ask you some questions for you to ponder, if you will. When's the last time you thought about just and really carved out some time to think this is what our disciple looks like? Uh, for that matter, what in the world does a disciple look like? Does it look like me? Does it look like you? What, what is it about a disciple that makes us who we are? Um, what does even real discipleship look like in church? And that's really a sermon for another day. But, but just know this, real discipleship requires a costly, costly commitment. And it reminds me of a toy that was purchased back in 1975. Some of y'all have no idea. You can't even remember 1975. I can vaguely remember it, all right? But, um, but 1975, I was just a, a little, little kid, but there was a toy that came out in 1975 that I just can't believe was actually something that people bought. It was a novelty item, if you will, and, and it hit the store shelves right before Christmas. Everybody was buying it. It was kind of like, I guess, a Chia Pet years ago. Y'all remember Chia Pets? I never bought one, but I never bought one of these things either that showed up on store shelves back in 1975. And this is it, if it works with me. Amanda, help me out here. It's hanging up on me. Y'all are excited. What's it? There it is. Can y'all see that? Who on their right mind would pay $3.95 for a rock? But that's what hit the store shelves like at Walmart and Kmart and Roses years ago, a pet rock. And notice about these little things that you could buy. There were so many things that came in this little box here. (laughs) It came with some straw so that rock could rest peacefully and comfortably in that box there. And notice it's got that box has got some holes in it in case the rock ever wants to breathe. There again, who, who, y'all remember this? Some, who, who remembers this? But, all right, we're gonna put your hands down. Don't raise your hand to this. Who even bought one? Don't admit it, okay? If you, if you feel led to com- admit it and confess it, see me in the foyer after the service, but don't won't say, hey, I bought one of those years ago. And y'all see it came with the rope and that's really kind of like a leash in case you wanted to walk it. All right, and then it came with this little instruction book, a 32 page instruction book for how you can take care of your rock. Who in the world would buy something like that? But when they came up with this idea, it was two friends. They said, we're just going to do it as a gag, and it took off. It, it really did took off. It sold over a million. A million people bought rocks for three ninety five back in Christmas of 1975. And this is what the inventor said, or the, the, one of the guys that said, came up with this idea. He said, you know, if we were to do this and if people were to buy it, uh, it basically we're telling them you can have your, your own pet that will never, ever, ever make a mess. It will never shed its hair. And y'all know how dogs and cats can do if you keep them inside. You'll never have to take your pet rock out for a rock, rock well, walk unless you just really wanted to. You never have to take your pet rock to the vet or anything like that. This is the perfect pet for you. And when, when Gary Dahl, that was his name, when Gary Dahl, one of the inventors that came up with this, uh, when he died in March of 2015, the New York Times obituary said that the concept of a pet rock required no actual work and no commitment. And it resonated with people living in the 70s. Uh, you know, I think something like that would resonate with people living in our era, don't you? Low maintenance, no cost whatsoever, except for buying a rock. You can come to my house and we'll dig up some rocks. I'll give you a deal on that. But no commitment. No commitment whatsoever, no cost whatsoever as well. You say, well, what's that got to do with discipleship? Well, well, here it is. I think a lot of people, when it comes to their Christianity, won't say low commitment, if not no commitment, form of faith. Y'all hear me? I think a lot of people have that mindset when it comes to Christianity and their walk with Jesus. Low commitment, if any commitment whatsoever. Um, statistics tell us And Amanda, if you can go on. Yeah, thank you. Statistics tell us that 71% of Americans uh, are Christians. And you can look at all different sorts of surveys and you can tweak the numbers however you want. But if 71% of Americans truly are Christians, 
To me, and I'm not trying to judge, I'm just being real with you, just being transparent. They sure don't look like 71% of Americans are Christians because if 71% of Americans are truly living for Jesus, man, we've got a nation that looks entirely different, just in my mind. Don't know if it's in yours. And so many people, I think, are just interested in a cheap kind of Christianity that offers a convenient, if you will, sentimental package of healing and prosperity, your best life now, things of that nature, with little or no sacrifice, no obedience, and let us not ever talk about surrender. Charles Stanley, uh, who's just stepping down from the pulpit of First Baptist Atlanta, one of our great Southern Baptist churches, calls people like that cultural Christians and casual Christians. He says they want a faith that requires little or nothing, a church that only makes them feel good, a church that has good and nice programs for kids. And by the way, I think we got some really great programs for our kids and for our children, don't you? And, and we always want to be investing in that because we, they're the next generation. And not only are they the next generation, but we embrace them as a generation as a part of our church family even now, right? So we want to make sure we're doing all we can to be a great place for kids and youth. Charles Stanley goes on to say a lot of these Christians, casual Christians, they, they want a church that will enhance their standing in a community. I have known people through the years, not just in churches I've been at where I've heard this and it broke my heart, but even in pastor friends' churches where they say, so-and-so has joined my church, but man, I've heard it's just because we're a big church. Casual Christianities. And then they want a church that doesn't, how dare them not intrude on their free time. So, so I want to talk about this because we need to hear that this type of approach uh, it's really superficial, if you will. This superficial approach to Christianity, it's not the type of relationship that Jesus wants with you. It's not the type of relationship that Jesus wants with me at, either. I mean, Jesus never pandered a low commitment type of faith. So here we are in Luke's gospel, and it's almost as if, as I read it, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, <laughs> I'm going to talk you out of following me. Because we run across three individuals that Jesus comes across on his way to Jerusalem and all these three individuals saying, hey, I want to follow you, but. And then it's almost as if Jesus and his responses to them and on on first glance as you look at him, it almost looks as if Jesus is being harsh. But he's not. He knows their hearts just like he knows our hearts. But anyway, these three individuals come across Jesus as Jesus is going to Jerusalem and it almost seems as if Jesus is trying to talk his way or taught their way out of following him. So Luke chapter nine, and you probably have your Bibles there. If you do say amen, I'm turning mine there. So let me get there. Luke chapter nine there. Uh, and where am I at there? Oh, there we are. All right. Luke chapter nine, verse 57 and following. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hmm. So we're going to break down this this morning and look at three areas of our life that I think we, could, we should be looking at if we really want to be a follower of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word today. And Lord, I, I pray as we look at this particular passage this morning and we look at your words, and as I look at my text today, these are red-letter words there. I mean, those words just jump off the page. And Lord, for those that might be within the sound of my voice here in this building or listening online, and we thank you for them. Lord, um, may your words not come across as harsh to them, but I can see how to somebody that's maybe searching and they're searching for a relationship with you and whether Christianity is real or just something that people do on Sundays. Lord, I pray that they won't, they won't see these words and your responses to these three men that wanted to follow you as harsh and rude, but rather perhaps through the preaching of your word today and through the ministry of your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word, that their hearts might be softened to really see what you see about them and have seen about people ever since you said these words back in the first century. 
So, Father, thank you um, for this time together this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will just um, speak to us where we are. And all of us are at different um, parts of our faith journey. And sometimes when we read your word, um, especially if we're somewhat younger in our faith journey with you, uh, sometimes your word might cut and rub us the wrong way. And, Lord, if that's the case this morning, um, I just pray it, it won't create any resistance within us to respond to what you're saying to us today through your words. So, Father, we, um, we thank you, and we thank you for meeting us here today. We pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. Amen. So, hey, as I said, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows what's coming. And what's coming is the cross, and what's coming is suffering. But yet, you know, he's, the Bible says he sets his face towards Jerusalem. And as he's walking to Jerusalem, as he's going there, knowing what's coming, he tells his disciples that are with him, hey, I'm going there, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be turned over to sinful men. I'm going to suffer at their hands, and I'm ultimately going, going to die. And as he's traveling to Jerusalem, he set his face there. I mean, he knows what's coming, and he's going there. He runs across these three individuals on his trek there to Jerusalem. These are three would-be disciples. These could be people you might be having lunch with in a few minutes wherever you might be going to lunch. These might be people you encounter in the workplace or wherever you might be happening to go in this week. So he's encountered, he encounters rather these three would-be disciples and each express in some way, shape, or form a willingness to follow Jesus. But each of these three men... Uh, somewhat misunderstand and they're unwilling to do what Jesus is asking them to do. So as we think about this message, there again, know that Jesus knows everything about me, about you. He knows everything about these three individuals that we read about here in the text. And he sees everything because he's Jesus. So not only did, did he hear these words that these individuals were saying, and not only did the disciples hear them, but, but just know there again, he, he knows their hearts. And we might not know their heart. We don't know their hearts the way Jesus knows them, right? But Jesus knows them just like he knows our hearts as well. And what he tells them back in the first century is no less radical than what he tells us today as we seek to be a disciple of Jesus. So, so I want to answer this question. What does it look like for us to be a follower of Jesus? And if there was a big idea of this message, it basically is that for us to grow spiritually in terms of following Jesus, he must be our number one priority. He must take precedence in our life. So, so three areas that I think we need to say, hey, Lord, I'm willing to surrender them because I really, really, really want to be your disciple. I really want to follow him. First is that following Jesus means that we've got to take priority or that he must take priority over any type of personal protection that we might have. And if you've got your Bibles open, look at verses 57 and 58. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, we don't know who this person is, but over in Matthew's gospel, we're told who he is. He's a scribe, but we don't know his name. And the scribe comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a radical statement. And I don't know about you, but there again, I find humor in a lot, and my, my mind is everywhere like a buffet, right? But I keep on hearing that old song like from the 60s, I will follow you. Anyway. But this guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. Radical statement. Big statement right there. I mean, this man wasn't trying to make up his mind, was he? I mean, he was determined, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. That was probably his favorite hymn, right? I will follow you, Lord, wherever. I mean, the scribe meant it. It was just unconditional. No matter the distance, no matter how tough the journey, no matter how long the journey, Lord, I'm going to follow you. He couldn't have been more bolder. He couldn't have been more emphatic. I am following you. And you would think Jesus would say, amen, brother, you know, because you got to sound like you're in church, right? Amen, brother, you're on board. You know, you would expect Jesus to say something like that. But he says these weird words, foxes have holes and birds of the air have what? Nest. Yeah, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What in the world is Jesus talking about there? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. A fox's hole is nothing but dirt. It's, t it's a tunnel, rather, in the dirt. I couldn't be a fox. I it would be very claustrophobic for me, and that just wouldn't work out well for me at all. And then if the rains come down, you know what's going to happen. It would be very likely that, that fox's hole would just cave in and collapse. They're very dangerous. But then, golly, Moses, then you got nests. Where are bird nests at? But they're in what? 
Trees, yes. There again, you're an above average congregation. Yeah, they're in trees. And any type of wind or rain can just make those bird nests that are just full of sticks and stuff just fall to the ground. So what's the point Jesus is making? Jesus is saying, if you follow me, I'm not even promising you a fox's hole to rest in or even the nest of a bird to rest in. Earlier in Jesus' life and in his ministry, rather, he had a place to lay down. He had a place to rest. Don't y'all like to go to a place and just get some R&R? Well, Jesus had a place where he could rest. Uh, We read in Scripture that earlier in his ministry, he would go to Peter's house. He had a place there that he could stay. Uh, Right before he went to the cross and he went to Jerusalem on that final journey there, uh, we know he went to Bethany and he stayed at the home of of Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus there. Uh, don't ever think that Jesus was homeless. He always had a place to go, and his disciples had as well. But when he, when he said these words, foxes have, don't even have um, you know, holes or, and, and birds don't even have nests, what he meant was when you walk with me, you're giving up the right, not only for your safety, but even for your comfort. You're giving it all up if you truly want to follow me. And he's talking to a scribe, a religious person of the day. This, this is a person that could look very much like me and you. You know, years ago um, when we were in seminary, um, back in 2000, 2003, it was the poorest years of our life financially, the richest years of our life in every other way. I mean, I just loved that season of my life. And... Um, and we became really good friends with several different uh, couples. And one was only on campus for two years. And it wasn't that he graduated, but that he went overseas. He and his wife and his two little girls, and they went to Central Asia to a predominantly Muslim country and a closed country and a country that's very hostile now more so than then to Christianity. But that's where they were, and they were your missionaries. So whenever you give your tithes and offerings, a part of that offering goes to the cooperative program that pays the salary of missionaries, pays their um, life insurance, their health insurance, things of that nature. Um, Body Moon Christmas offering, 100% of that offering we do in December goes to our missionaries. So, um, So we just bonded to the point that even though I knew he was halfway around the world, there were some opportunities for me to go and just to love on him and his wife. Uh, and his kids. I just wanted to be a part of their life and wanted them to know that, hey, we're there, we support you. Um, Just about every Sunday, we Skype with them just so they would have some type of connection with me and with with us and with the states here. But I'll never forget my first journey over there uh, where they were particularly located. Uh, They were the, if I remember correctly, there might be one other family that was in this, this city but yet what God was doing in the country was just amazing. There were people turning to Jesus. And what their one little church was doing was trying to plant discipleship groups all around. So one day we actually drove to this particular smaller area. And, you know, it could have been like Sherall. It could be like Hartsville. Uh, it didn't strike me as a big area, but everybody knew you were there. Y'all ever been in, in a place like that when you're, you're sitting at maybe at a restaurant? And everybody knows they don't belong here. He's somewhat new. Uh, that's happening to me a little bit now. Anyway, so we were there, and, um, and golly, Moses, they were the sweetest couple that lived there in this country that were followers of Jesus. Uh, they, they had a hunger to grow in their faith. Uh, my buddy and this church they were a part of were discipling this family. We were there. It wasn't the Ritz-Carlton. It wasn't even a Motel 6 where we were staying. Very, very... Um, Clean, but very, very simple. Y'all ever heard of a squatty potty? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say about that. But just, I mean, just very, very simple, simple means. And I remember going to sleep that night, and it was cold as all get out. It was a cold night here, wasn't it, last night? It was so cold. There wasn't really any heat in the house. I was snowed up under blankets and all that, sleeping really good, because you sleep good when it's cold, at least I do. And then, boom! <laughs> Woke some of y'all up right now, didn't I? But this loud gunshot goes off, middle of the night, or maybe the wee early hours of the morning. And I'm like, what in the world was that? Well, I was told what it was. It was a cannon going off. Who fires cannons these days? Well, that's what they did in this particular city. And it reminded me, hmm, here I am living in America under comforts of home, safety of being an American, 
And here my buddies are living over here in this predominantly Muslim country. And here are these sweet, sweet believers that are natives of this country, but yet they want to be followers of Jesus. They're under persecution. And I thought of this, foxes don't even have holes. Birds of the air don't even have nests to, to lay down and rest in. So even when you follow Jesus, know you're not promised comfort. And you're not always promised a, a bed of roses, if you will. If anything, you may find risk and rejection. You may find discomfort. I mean, think about Jesus' own life. Judea rejected him. The people, people of Galilee cast him out. Samaria didn't have a place for him to stay. That night, earth had no place for him. And even in heaven, when Jesus was on the cross for your sins and for mine, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's like even heaven even rejected Jesus at that time. So there is no guarantee, Jesus is saying. There's no safety. I cannot guarantee you safety. If you choose to be my disciple, it's not guaranteed. Y'all all right with that? I heard about a magazine uh, years ago called Backwoods Magazine. It's a quarterly publication. Y'all might get it, y'all might not, but I heard about it a while back. Um, it's a small circulation. You can even join and read about it online if you want to do, or you can get the print version. But um, it's really geared for people that want a a self-reliant lifestyle, you know, frugal living, you know, knowing how to raise farm animals, knowing how to eat farm animals and all that other stuff. And, uh, and they had a particular ad that appeared in their September and October 1992 edition that was just a phenomenon. And uh, Amanda put that ad on the, on the screen for me. That's what it said. And this is in the magazine. It says, wanted somebody to go back in time with me. Y'all follow that? Really? Y'all know people fail for that? Yeah, somebody to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. Here's where you can send it to. You'll get paid after we get back. You got to bring your own weapon. Safety's not guaranteed. I've only done this once before. And people fell for that little ad. They were sending requests. Hey, we want to go back in time with you. This is legit. People actually responded to this. There again, if they bought a pet rock back in 75, I can kind of see how people would respond to this as well, right? It's all right to laugh. Y'all okay? All right. So, um... The editor, when he put this in the paper, in the periodical, 20 years later, they still get people responding to that particular ad, that if you want to go back in time, you can. He said most people, uh, or he said most of the ads and requests come from people who seem to believe that this ad is true. They wanted to sign up and go back in time, even though safety was not guaranteed. And folks, that's what Jesus is saying. If you really want to follow me, safety is not guaranteed. I remind you of Jesus' words. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, do you really, Jesus is saying, do you really, do you really, really, really want to follow me and be my disciple? Disciples of Jesus are those who follow him even when safety and the comforts of home isn't even guaranteed. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. I mean, mark it down. I think the older we get, the older I get, the older my kiddos will get, I think the more and more they will see persecution in the land of the free and the home of the brave. I think we will see people rejecting us even more so because we're followers of Jesus. I think people will ridicule you if they haven't already. I think they will be personally disloyal to you if they know you are a devout follower of Jesus. I think they might even go out of their way to bring harm to you and even to take advantage of you. The thought behind all of that is, that is, is this. If they did it to Jesus, who's to say they're not going to do it to you? But that's what it takes to follow Jesus. You can't truly follow Jesus and be constantly committed to your own self-preservation. But let me tell you the safest place to be. The safest place to be is in the, is in the center of his will for your life. Whether that's here, there, or anywhere. All right, moving on. Let's, let's look at number two. And I appreciate Amanda helping me this morning. Secondly, following Jesus must take priority over family connections. All right, know for these next two points I'm gonna share with you, know that your pastor loves you, all right? But following Jesus must take priority even over um, family connections here. Let's talk about cultural expectations. You see that happen, Amanda? You see that up there? Look at verses 59 and 60, if you will. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So, so Jesus is encountering now the second person that says he wants to follow Jesus. The first man followed, 
or the first man rather, volunteered to follow Jesus. And, and this man, this second man receives a personal invitation. That would be like somebody coming up to me and saying, hey, there's a, there's a party going on at Trey's house. All right, okay. But if Trey comes up to me and say, hey, here's your personal invitation, that's a little more personal, isn't it? It means a whole lot more if I hear it from him instead of hearing it from somebody else. The first man didn't understand the difficulty of following Jesus. The second man didn't get the urgency. So he says, let me go and first bury my father and, and y'all hear what Jesus said to him. Mm, sounds kind of rough. Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So this man receives a personal invitation from Jesus, really a command to join him in the work of the gospel. But the response the man asks is, hey, let me go bury my father. Doesn't that sound reasonable? I mean, Kip, doesn't that sound honorable? We would expect that. I mean, that's what a good son does. But Jesus says this, let the dead bury their dead. Wow, Jesus said that? Yeah, he does. But notice what's not in the text. He doesn't say here that the father is already dead. We kind of assume that, but the text doesn't say that. It, it, I think it's kind of safe for us to assume that this father might be close to death. Or maybe he's struggling with a disease and, and they know that if no healing takes place, that, that death is on the horizon. And, and I really think this way, if the father was already dead, he wouldn't even be on the road talking to Jesus to begin with. So, so I really think, and some, some people smarter than I think that maybe this father that this young man is talking about is already old. And, and in this particular culture back then, even though the call of Jesus was urgent, this young man has an indefinite delay. Why? I think it has to do with the expectations of their culture. Every little town, every location has their own culture. And back in the first century, there was a strong cultural expectation that if you're the firstborn son, you're going to stay home and take care of mama and daddy, especially daddy. Yeah, that was just the culture back then. And that's what a good son does. And Jesus says, no, 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 not, not even in this area. If you want to follow me, following me comes first. So we cannot underestimate, nor can we understate the urgency of following Jesus. To be his disciple, following him has got to come first. Here's what our culture says. Our culture in this day and age would say, hey, well, get your education first. And once you have your education down first, then you can follow Jesus. Or you might hear somebody in the culture basically say, get your career established first. You know, go ahead and start saving, saving up for your retirement, get some health insurance there, you know, have a family, get married or get married first, then have a family, you know. And, and then once you get all of that done, then you can follow Jesus. And culture would say, well, hey, well, man, you're... You got, you got such drive and a desire in your life. You got a great hobby. You know, invest in that hobby. Get really good at it. Get the place at the, uh, at the mountains. Get the place down there at the beach and then follow Jesus. But Jesus said, none of that stuff, right? He simply says, follow me. And he expects us to follow him. So let me ask you a question. What have you placed or who have you placed in your life above Jesus. What's really keeping you and me from truly being a disciple of Jesus? Hmm. You know what an idol is? An idol is anything that takes precedence over Jesus in your life. And it could be a person, it could be, it could be a thing. You know, Jesus says over in Matthew 6, uh, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be what, church? Added added to you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you there's an, there's an old story that preachers love to tell and if you've heard it before um, I won't give you a fresh rendition of it but it's a story that Satan is having he's having a conversation with his demons and they're having a little powwow trying to decide what can we do to get more people into hell and out of heaven and one of the demons said hey um, Satan let's Let's just tell everybody that Jesus really isn't the son of God and that he didn't die on the cross. And when he said that, all the other demons were like, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That, let's, Satan, let's use that. And Satan says, no, that's not going to work. And then another demon set, steps up to the plate and is like, hey, let's tell people hell isn't real. And let's tell people that not only is hell isn't real, but, but, but you're good enough on your own. You don't need to turn to Jesus. And all the demons, y'all know what the demons are doing, right? Yeah, that's a good one. We'll, we'll go with that one. 
And, and Satan's like, no, that's not going to work either. And then finally, another deacon stood up, or another demon stood up. I said deacon, didn't I? Another demon stood up. <laughs> another demon stood up and said, let's tell people they aren't sinners and that they're good. And that just because they're good, they'll get to heaven. Eventually, everybody will be there. And all the demons are like, yeah, that's a good one too. And Satan's like, no, no, no. None of that will work. And Satan turned to his demons and he said, let's tell people Jesus really is the Son of God. Let's tell everybody that, that Jesus really is the Messiah that came to earth for the sole reason to die on the cross for their sins. Let them believe that heaven and hell is real and that if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, they will go to hell. Let's let people believe that they are sinners and that they need to be saved. But tell them this, they got all the time in the world to turn to Jesus. And that's when the, all the demons stood up and said, hey, Satan, you're, you're number one. That's, that's awesome. Let, let me just tell you this. And I think this is a good word. This isn't on the screen, but, but I really like this. If you make the decision to follow Jesus later, you're basically saying, I'm rejecting to follow Jesus now. And if God speaks to you in this service or any other service to get your life right with Jesus and you don't, you're basically rejecting Jesus now. Don't, don't fall into that category. Because if anything, that makes Satan a winner here. And we don't want him to win. He's already going to lose, right? He already has lost because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But if Satan can keep people from putting off turning to Jesus, we don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen to your life. And there could be somebody here this morning. There could be somebody here in the weeks to come. There might be somebody listening online today and they're weighing in their heart and mind. Do I turn to Jesus today in, in faith? Or, or maybe, maybe I can do it a little bit later. Don't put off today what you can do today, all right? And, and then um, let's look at the next one. And, and the next area that I want us to consider in terms of being a disciple is that following Jesus must take priority over family connections. Yeah, thank you. Following Jesus must take priority over family connections. And if your Bibles are still open, look at verses 61 and 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So there again, this really sounds reasonable. A person comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you. I plan on following you, but let me first go and tell my family bye. There again, sounds pretty reasonable, right? Sounds pretty honorable. It sounds like something that will come out of our mouths. Hey, Jesus, I want to go, but let me go tell my folks bye. And, and, and Jesus replies this way, a man that tries to plow forward, all right, plowing forward while looking back. He's not going to be able to plow straight, right? I've never plowed anything in my life, I don't think. Have I? I think I did it once, a little bit. Yeah, you got a picture of me doing that. It's kind of, it's funny. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I love cutting grass. And if I'm on my lawnmower cutting grass, it's got to be straight, right? My wheels are where the wheels are supposed to go. But y'all know what happens. If I take my eyes off where I'm going, I'm looking around. I look at that bird. <laughs> What's going to happen? That lawnmower's going to go this way and that way. I'm not going to have that pretty straight line that I want in my yard. That's just me. I know I'm odd, right? But hey, you're stuck with me now. <laughs> but Jesus says a man, I'm glad some of y'all said amen to that. But Jesus says a man that plows forward while looking backward can't plow faith, uh, straight. So Jesus is saying if, if, if you look back, if you look back, you're not worthy to follow me. And maybe this young man is thinking of the story that we read over in 1 Kings chapter 19 of Elisha and Elijah. Because when, when Elisha approached Elijah, guess what Elijah was doing? But he was plowing. And, and Elisha says, hey, you're going to follow me. You're going to be the next prophet. And Elisha says, hey, great. I want to, but let me go tell my folks bye first. And Elisha said, okay. So maybe this person here knows the Bible and he's thinking, well, maybe I can just go back and tell my folks back. This, did, this man didn't understand the exclusivity of following Jesus. So what Jesus is doing is warning him of a divided heart. Here's the point. No one and nothing should compete for your affections with Jesus. And don't think your pastor has arrived there. It's a lifelong journey for me, and I'm sure it will be for you as well. You know, over in... Um, Luke chapter 14, 
Jesus says something really hard to think about. He says these words, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now folks, I used to have a big time problem with that. And if you're transparent with me, you're probably saying, well, I've got a problem with that as well. But what Jesus is saying is that he wants us to love him so much and so completely that everything else fails in comparison. All right? He's not saying, I want you to dishonor your parents. He's teaching us not to let the love for those that are so precious to us weaken our love for him. Y'all with me? All right. You know, um, if, if you know football, weren't there some good football games on yesterday? I mean, there really was some good games on yesterday. And I was noticing when I was watching the University of Georgia play Alabama that Georgia has a particular helmet that they wear, and the, the maker of that helmet is shut. Did I say that right? I hope I said it right. If I didn't, it kind of sounds like I know what I'm talking about, right? And on their, on their particular labels, and I'm sure it's on the other helmets as well, but on their label that they put in their helmets, they talk about the dangers of playing football and especially about the, the dangers of having, you know, concussions. And as you read their particular label when it comes to the dangers of playing football and how you can't get concussions from playing football, they basically say this. If you don't want to risk the injuries associated with, with playing the game, don't play the game. And Jesus says something similar. He says, if you want to avoid the risk of being a disciple, just don't be a disciple. Because following Jesus means saying no to everything else and yes to him. And, and, and it's a struggle, isn't it, every now and then for us to get there. It's not a casual decision. It's not a superficial commitment. And, and at a time when more and more people want a church and a God that expects less of them. I was telling the Wednesday night folks this past Wednesday night that before COVID just really changed how we do church before COVID, it was said that, the, that an active member of a church is somebody that comes on average twice a month. When did we lower the standards? God never did. Y'all all right? Yeah, I mean, God never did lower the standards. So it's not a casual decision. Jesus has said that following him comes with high demand. So what does it look like? Well, following Jesus should take priority over everything. So look at the screen here. Follow him where, wherever he leads is, should be part of our MO here. That part of our MO should be we're going to follow him no matter the cost. And then number three, we're going to follow him without what? Without looking back. Now, this folks over here, they do a whole lot better than y'all in terms of talking back to your pastor. You've got to get used to that when I ask you a question. You know, talk back. All right? we're, in, we're in the game together here. So to truly follow Jesus, our motivation should be um, this day I have decided to follow Jesus. So it, it, it almost seems as if Jesus is telling them why they shouldn't follow him as we looked at this passage today. But can I just ask you a question? Why should you follow Jesus? Why should you follow Jesus? Well, if you got your Bibles open, you can turn over there with me really fast. If not, just listen to what I'm going to say. John chapter 6. And the question is, why should you follow Jesus? Well, in John chapter 6, verse 66 and following, and here in some of you turn the pages of your Bible, that's a sweet, sweet sound. John chapter 6, verse 66 and following, we read these words. After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So they heard what was required and hearing what was required, some of them turned back and didn't walk with him. So Jesus said to the 12, this is verse 67, do you want to go away as well? And Peter, Petros, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Why follow Jesus? Because he is one of a kind. Why follow Jesus? Because he's the one that came down from heaven. I'm glad Trey did this with our youth. Have y'all seen these? These are the coolest things. I feel like I'm hip, Trey, wearing one of these today. Trey's got one on too. He wants, them to be, he wants our youth to be able to have conversation starters with their friends and classmates. Why follow Jesus? Because he came down from heaven for people like me and you. And he went there for one particular purpose, and that was to go to the cross, where he died on the cross, not for his sins, but for mine and yours. 
And then he was placed in a tomb. That was the sign of Jonah. For three days, he's going to be in there, but he's going to rise again. Don't y'all love that old song by Dallas song? Rise again. And then after he rose from the tomb, guess what he did? He went up, went back up to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit down. But we know this. Why should you follow Jesus? He's coming again. Amen? Yeah, he's coming again. So think about this story. One man said, hey, Lord, I will follow you. And he just didn't grasp how difficult it could be. Another man said, Lord, I'll follow you. In fact, Jesus commanded him to follow him. He just didn't get the urgency of it. And another said, Lord, I'll follow you. But he was still looking back. And he didn't realize the exclusivity of following Jesus. You know, Luke doesn't tell us. Don't you wish? Do y'all ever read scripture and say, well, what happens next? This is one of those occasions. Well, what happened to these three guys? Do they, do they decide to follow Jesus? We don't know. But one day we'll find out. That might be a question that you want the Lord to answer. And one day you may find out when we all get to heaven. But that's not the point. The point is, will you decide today to follow Jesus? Let me ask you to bow your head. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And as we just get along with the Lord right now, I just want to ask you, um, has there been a day in your life in which you've decided to follow Jesus. And I believe Jesus could be talking to some of you right now. wanting you to make a commitment to him, to follow him. He went to the cross for you to give you victory over your sins, to give you victory over death, to give you the gift of eternal life. But have you ever accepted that? And even for those of you watching this online today, uh, this invitation is for you as well. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Lord, I pray that... Um, today that you will help us to draw the line in the sand and to say, hey, I've decided to follow Jesus. Lord, even if it might require me to, to leave a life that I have embraced, a comfortable lifestyle even here in the States, or just to simply make changes to the life I already have, Lord, help me to be a disciple that chooses this day to follow Jesus. Help me not to live a superficial life any longer, but to live a life for something so much more. Lord, I pray for men that might be here today that when it comes to their life, um, they put a career in advancement, maybe social standing in place of where you ought to be in their life. Lord, I pray for mothers that maybe put their children a priority over you and they honor their kids over you. And the worst thing they could do is to, is to, is to do that. And the best thing that child could have is a mama and daddy that puts you first in their life. Lord, I pray for people that might be here this morning that have some type of habit or sport or relationship or some other thing, and they put that in place or following you. Maybe it's money and a desire for money and the desire to accumulate wealth and to have the American dream. Lord, I pray that today before we leave that we would just say, here's my heart and here's my life. I give it to you because I decided to follow Jesus. Lord, I'm, as we close our time together this morning, I thank you for speaking into our hearts. And um, Father, I pray that as we have this closing song, that if there's decisions that need to be made and be made publicly for your glory, that we'll have the boldness to step out of our seats to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to step to your feet. And uh, we're going to sing our closing song. Our praise team is going to lead us in that. And as I said in my prayer, if God's laid a decision upon your heart to follow Jesus. Uh, would you just come meet me and Trey down front and just talk to us, tell us that. Uh, hey, maybe your prayer today is like, hey, pray with me, Pastor Rod and Trey. Um, how can I follow Jesus a little bit more? I want to go deeper with him. Hey, we want to help you do that. Hey, a great way to do that is to be a part of a local church. And not only to be a part of a local church, but to be part of a local church through small groups. And some of our small groups met today. Some are still meeting throughout the week through, uh, through Zoom and stuff like that. But be a part. Invest yourself in kingdom work. Whatever decision that God's laid upon your heart, we're down front to receive you. As we sing.
Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rod, for the word. Uh, as I was standing for, down front, uh, Frankie, I prayed that I would be a true disciple of Christ. Uh, that when people see me, not just at church, but outside of church, that I would be a true example of who God has called me to be. And not only that, but help set an example that others may look at my life and say, you know what, Pastor Rod, there's something different in him. And I want to live the life that he's living. And I pray that we will all, every day we wake up, man, will be encouraged with that word today and challenge us to, to be who God has called us to be and be a true disciple for him. Amen? Amen. Amen.